Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Fiona, would you come and join me? I want to, some of you will know Fiona, others, uh, she will be new to you. And um, as she comes up, Fiona is the CEO of a software company uh, called Mine. Uh, it's not mine. M Y N E. It's all out. It's, it's what? It's an ongoing joke. Yeah, we match. Look at that. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, that's it. Um, so, Fiona, I'm going to ask Fiona just a couple questions like we have been. And um, tell us, Fiona, how long have you and your family been coming to St. Bart's? Yeah, so myself and my husband Justin, Ethan and Florence, we've been here in about two and a bit years, so two and a quarter years previously at White Rock Fellowship. Love that, but we love the lollies so much. It's the accent thing, right? Thank you. Um, Finally. Um, so we met the lollies about 10 years ago. If you want to hear the story, it's a, it's a funny God one. Um, and so when they were moving over to St. Bart's, it was really important. We prayed for about a year as a family. And I remember very clearly as a family, after we'd prayed for a year, we said, okay, who thinks we should be at St. Bart's? And every one of us went, yep. And so we've been welcomed here. We've been loved here. We call many of you friends here. Uh, recruitment by any means. It, it was a long burn, but we got there. Um, okay, thank you, Fiona. It is a funny story for another time. Tell us, what I, I already shared a little bit of what you do, but tell us uh, about the work you do. Yeah, so as you heard, I'm now CEO of a software company, which is not the trajectory that I was planning on, just to be clear. Um, I have a background in filmmaking, filmmaking, entertainment, technology. I've also worked in the nonprofit sector here, so this is how Dable's also connected to the organization behind every door. So for most of the time I've lived in the United States, I've worked nonprofit sector, really just looking after people that maybe don't have as much as many people, um, really hands-on services in all parts of Dallas, but now we're in South Dallas. Um, but the work I do at mine, one of the reasons that I've built a software platform is because what we learned really on is um, when we just extract data from people, we rob them of dignity. So what I wanted to do is not just take data from people and then tell other people, funders, how great their work is. Why don't we include people in the process? And so the mind is really about this sense of ownership and agency in your work. You are the agents of your change. Um, the mining part of that, the data mining, I was just at a conference, just got back from Seattle um, at an AI conference. I'd love to talk to you all about AI. No, uh, Trevor Noah has got the best things to say about uh, AI, fantastic guy. Um, uh, but the mining is also do it in community, which I think is very important as a church, what we think about community. I'm from the northeast of England. We're mining communities. And what I heard a miner say he said, I never felt unsafe because someone always had my back. And so what I want to do digitally and in person, because we believe in the local um, sense of how we build, is 
have emotional safety and, and safe places for people to operate. Um, so you just heard the gospel read. And I have given her a bit of warning last night at 11 p.m., but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, more warning than most. When you hear that verse at the end of the gospel reading, and um, I will, you know, and surely I will be with you always to the mm -hmm. ends of the earth. As someone who's working really as an entrepreneur, as someone in a, a sector that's changing rapidly, what does it mean for you to be in the workplace and have that promise that Jesus is with you? Gosh, it's... It's literally everything. Um, as I was thinking about the verse, there's a couple of things. I'll try not to do a four-point sermon, but I do have a thought. Yeah, you probably have 30 seconds. 30 seconds. It says, first of all, and it's echoed in Genesis, and the verse we read, it says, go. There's a reason we, where Jesus says go. It says, go into the earth. Discipleship for me has always meant friendship because it's been, uh, that's how I came to know the Lord. A friend knew me, and then I followed, and then I learned the commandments. Then it says all the nations. I've been fortunate to go um, across nations. I consider that's how we build well when we represent the nations. But fundamental to all of it is that last line when it says, I will be with you until the end of the earth. And I've been in so many situations. There's so many, I can't tell you. But I remember scary situations, by the way. Sometimes I would physically just hold up my hand like this and ask for the manifold presence of Jesus to be with me. There's never once that he has not held my hand. I've even got it tattooed, by the way, here. You hold me by my right hand. Um, so the presence of God, whether it's when in, in the Genesis verse where he says, go from your country. I've gone from my country many times. My family is in, my, in another country. Or come to the United States. Or go to South Dallas, wherever it is. The presence of Jesus is literally the thing that will hold shape guide you, do everything to allow you, to empower you to do what you need to do. Thank you. Let's stretch out a hand and let's pray. Let's pray for Fiona. And uh, Lord, we thank you, not just for Fiona, but we thank you that we have a church where we can receive on Sunday and take your presence to us, with us to work. Thank you that you're already there waiting for us. We pray for Fiona, and we pray for everyone in this church who works in the tech industry uh, in its manifold ways, and we pray, Lord, your blessing that uh, they would know, that we would all would know that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well done. Amen. Well done. Um, I, I don't know what that made you think, listening to that, and um, I... I wanted to talk a bit because of the passages, a little bit about um, calling because, um, hey, I didn't hear that much about it. And uh, I just wondered if it would be, might be helpful. Well, I think it is. So I'm just gonna do it. And if you wanna complain, you can later. But 24 years ago, I um, was, it wasn't really an ambush, uh, but I was uh, voluntold to go to a lunch with, the uh, bishop, the Anglican bishop of the Diocese of Fredericton. Uh, and it was a lunch that would prove to be a turning point, not because of the cuisine, but because I didn't know that I was holding in my heart a deep provocation. I had been provoked by the certain events that had happened in the lead up to that lunch. And sometimes when God wants to get our attention, he provokes us. 
And it's there throughout Scripture. And, and, and for me, it was in 1999 in a very small city. I don't know if, I guess you can call it a city. Um, two infants in two different parts of the city died of neglect. They, their parents lived in apartments that had lots of tenants in it, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know why, but this made me angrier than I'd ever been because it shouldn't be happening. Infants should not die of neglect. And um, there was an inquest and a whole list of reasons were, were listed as to why this happened. And I, deep down, though I didn't know much about uh, the scriptures then, I didn't know much about what it takes to run a church, but I had been reading the book of Acts. And I saw the picture of, of the church that Luke paints, and I knew deep down in my gut that if the church today was doing what they did in Acts, children would not be dying of neglect. They would not have neighbors living next door to them who thought it wasn't their place to get involved. So the bishop, bless him, um, you know, he's wearing all of his stuff. He's got this big cross with jewels on it, and he looks magnificent and purple and, you know, all that stuff. And he says, what do you think of the state of the church in, in our province? And it's all I needed. I was like secretariat. I was out, right? And I couldn't hear anything because there was nobody behind me, and I let them have it. I said, I don't know how you sleep at night. I said, you are looking at the church through the lenses of a spreadsheet instead of the book of Acts. What are you doing? Uh, you've come here to tell me what to do with my life. Let me tell you about what you should do with your life. Yeah. I've since apologized. And there's a reason I'm not ministering in that part of the world. No, I'm kidding. Um, and by the end of the conversation, I was walking to my parents' offices to tell them that I was leaving my academic career behind to pursue training for ordination. Because his response was, have you ever thought about training for ordination? God will often provoke us, but a provocation alone isn't enough. We will be provoked this year. It's just a matter of time. Some of you maybe already have, right? And to be provoked isn't enough to see the kingdom of God forged here on the earth. What else is needed? Well, you had a hint from Fiona. And the, the, what else is needed is what we find in our passage, in our gospel passage. So if you take out your bulletin, I'm just going to make a few notes here and just draw a couple, uh, a, a, connect a couple of dots, and then we're going to pray. And so here we are, Matthew 28, well known. If you've been in the church a hot minute, you would have uh, heard uh, a thousand excellent sermons on this. Uh, and the scene is on a mountain. No surprise here, Matthew loves the mountains. So much of Matthew's gospel, the ministry of Jesus, happens on a mountain. He's tempted on a mountain. Um, the sermon happens on the mount. He's transfigured on a mountain. Um, he, 
the last bit before he is taken to his crucifixion happens on the Mount of Olives. Elijah and Moses meet him, met the living God on a mountain, and they have appeared in the gospel talking with Jesus on a mountain. Now Jesus invites his disciples to meet him so that they can be commissioned. And the first surprise is right there in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. The closer translation to the Greek isn't doubt, it's hesitate. It's hesitate. And some Reformed theologians say that they had theological reservations about going to the mountain. Others said they just weren't sure that he would be there. And there's actually just volumes of theological debate on what that means. But on one hand, they either hesitated or they doubted. And so if you have hesitation in the church today, you're in good company. If you have doubts, you're in good company. All are welcome. The main thing is, though, that they were coming reverently to Jesus. And then in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Remember, in the temptations, Jesus was tempted to receive the authority that the earth has to give. He was offered prestige without the exact, exacting the price that he has now paid. And Jesus' authority comes from the fact that he is the risen one. He's the risen one. And his is the authority of the one who has defeated tyranny itself, the tyranny of death. And he's the authority under which life can begin to flourish. Jesus is already running and rule. He's already not running, but he's ruling our world. And this is one of the most important results of the resurrection, and it's the most troubling thing to reconcile in our mind. What does it mean if Jesus is already ruling the world? Well, the claim isn't that the world isn't already completely as he wants it to be, because that's not true. Some of you have already had an argument on the way to church. I had one with myself, you know, um, and... Um, the claim is not that he is already, that the world isn't already as Jesus intends it to be. The claim is that he is working to take it from where it was, under the rule of not only death, but under the rule of corruption, under the rule of greed, and every kind of wickedness. And he is looking to bring it by a slow means that is often and sometimes quick, under the rule of his life-giving love. And the shock is, is the way that he's doing it. He's doing it through his followers. He's doing it through the, his followers. Now the church, in its various forms, has got so much wrong, has made so many mistakes, and has let its Lord down so often that many people despair at the church and will lose hope, or their hope will be weakened. But the New Testament 
casts a vision, and in fact, if you look at all of salvation history from Genesis to Revelation, a picture is painted of those who believe in Jesus, who are witnesses to the resurrection, that they are the ones who are given the responsibility to go and make real in the world the authority which he already has. We, you and I, more, more so you, I mean, because I, mean, I work for the church. I'm not, I don't have a nine-to-five job. And statistically, if you are, whatever you do during the working hours, as long as you're not working for the church, you have more access to the world than I do. Mine is minimal compared to yours. Um, and that's meant to be an encouragement. Um, uh, it may not feel that way. But what you and I, and mostly you, are called to do is to keep working out Jesus' plan to bring our world under the rule of his life-giving love. That's why during the week, I rarely wear my collar. Because I want to give you all a chance. And if I can do it without using any advantage I might have in clerical garb, then we all can do it. In fact, any time I've tried to wear this for an advantage, it's backfired terribly. So how, what's the how, and, and again, Fiona's alluded to it, and it's, you've heard it a thousand times, so let me just highlight a few thoughts here. Jesus is very clear. He says that as we go, we're to do certain things. The first is we're to disciple, make disciples. What does it make to make disciples? What does it mean? It means to continue to invite men, women, children, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students to follow him and to train them to understand and follow his message in his way. Not in the way of anybody else but Jesus's. The second thing is to be we're to baptize. Why do we baptize? Well, we baptize because it's a very public, physical, and visible thing to do. And as we baptize, what we're doing is we are sending a message that says that this person, adult or child, has been marked out, has been, to use a Texan term, branded with the holy name of the living God. And you know, if you've watched anything to do with cattle, that the brand is so important because it identifies whose you are. And we are, carry the name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're to teach. Following Jesus generates a lifestyle that is quite different from that of the world. Whether it's from the Sermon of the Mount to the cost and high demand for forgiveness to the overturning of the normal way people in authority behave. The way Jesus does it is very different from the way that people do it in the world without him. But what's encouraging here as we come to the end is Jesus never leaves people simply with a list of commands to keep. These three instructions, to disciple, to baptize, to teach, have been given and held in place by the promises at the beginning and end of the passage. 
All authority in heaven and on earth is mine, and I will always be with you. Why is that important? We do these things because he already possesses all authority. So we're not trying to make a power grab in society. Well, I'm not. And I don't think that's the point that Jesus is using here. But the promise, these promises are what sustains us in the task that he is with us always and forever. The reality is that when we're provoked, he has already been provoked by this. He already is upset at the presence of injustice. He's already upset at the presence of corruption. He's already upset that his kingdom has not been fully realized yet, and that's why he's putting it on our hearts so that we might partner with him and continue the work of bringing our world under the rule of his life-giving love. So yeah, I had, I'd been provoked. I spoke with passion to that bishop, and man, I, you know, I'd like to say I come by it honestly, kind of you know, um, having a, a, a varied relationship with people in authority in the church, but no, often it's because when that happens, it's because I haven't taken the time to spend time with him. And if you're joining us with a deeply formed life experiment, because is it a course? No. It's more than a book. Is it a program? I'd like to say it is, but we're not that polished. It is an experiment, a social experiment, if you will. And that's why the first chapter is so gripping, because it talks about the need that we have to have a deeper relationship with Jesus where our roots go wide to give us the stability we need for the challenges we face today. I had to go away for three years. You probably don't. But I had to be, go away for three years to be formed. Not only to know the concept that God loves and likes me, but I had to experience it. And the only way we can experience it is in community. I had to bring my heart under the rule of his life-giving love before I could be any good to anyone. So, yes, we need to be provoked, but like everyone in Scripture, there's a provocation and then there's an encounter with Jesus that changes them, that marks them forever. And it's once we have encountered his love and we have been filled by his love that we have something to offer. And so our collect, which is, I don't know, a thousand years old, originally written in Latin or Sanskrit. I know, I'm joking. Um, our collect says it so well. Almighty God, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you reveal the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift. What is the gift? It's the gift of his presence. It's the gift of his presence. This year, we will see all kinds of examples that reveal to us that our world is not already completely as Jesus intends it to be. When we broach the topic of racism at the end of this month, we will all feel it. 
differently, because we're all different, but we all feel it, that we're not there yet, that his work isn't done, that there's work to be done. But to do the work, we need to not only conceptually understand that he's with us, we need our hearts to know it as well. His work isn't done yet. He's inviting us to continue the work of bringing the world under the rule of his life-giving love. Um, I don't know how it happened. These things happen to me. Um, oddly, I was in Toronto. I'm at a reception for my youngest sister who's transitioning out of the workplace. And I meet an acquaintance of hers. I would love to call him a friend. I don't he probably, he knows me by name now because I wrote to him. And he's a titan in the fashion industry. And so I sent him an email earlier this week. I said, dear so-and-so, he's a devout Catholic. How has this passage influenced you in your work? I got a big email back, and this is what he said. How my walk with Jesus influences me at work is all based on the promise to remember that I am with you always to the end of the age. Focusing on this promise motivates me, <clears throat> motivates me to answer your question more clearly. Knowing that Jesus is with me at work means, one, I speak out if I see injustice or discrimination and I be an ally to the person who's affected. Two, I am an agent for positive change. Three, I do my best to be an instrument of love and peace. It's pretty good. And so I don't know what this week holds for you. What I do know is that the Lord has gone ahead of us and he's in your week with whatever it is you do from nine to five during the working hours of the week, whether you're in corporate America, you have a startup, you're looking after children, whatever it is, the Lord is there. And he promises to be there. And he promises to be with you always. And so what's needed in order for us to heed the call that he invites us to is to spend the time with him and there's nothing new. It's through praying. It's through reading the scriptures. It's through meeting together, worshiping, being nurtured at his table by receiving prayer. Really by receiving as much as we can. But it also hinges on us asking him to meet with us in a new way. And so we've already prayed and asked for the gift of the Spirit. I didn't just pray it for you. I kind of tricked you into all praying it together. It's one of the great things about the liturgical church. You just get people to do things. Um, why don't we stand and let me pray. Because the Lord is with us. And it doesn't look like we think it does sometimes. And whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that you find challenging, wherever you feel motivated for change, he has a plan.
And his plan hinges on his presence at work in your life. So that whatever the solution is, it's done the way that he would do it. Not by calling bishops' names at lunches. As satisfying as that is sometimes. So why don't you just hold out your hands like this. Lord, we offer you as a community the week that awaits, the work of our hands. And we ask that you would meet us. We ask that you would help us discover more and more what it means to be filled with your presence. Help us to know what it means, Lord, your great promise that you will be with us always, that you're with us now, you'll be with us in an hour, tomorrow morning. Lord, as we've sung, you are with us through every stage of life. And we thank you that when, Holy Spirit, you come into our hearts, you change nothing, and you also change everything because you are love. And so we ask that you would pour out, even now, your life-giving love into our hearts and that you'd go ahead of us into the week that awaits and that you would bless the work of our hands. In Jesus' name, amen.